I would ask that you take God's word into your hands and turn to the book of Titus this morning. Titus can be found uh, about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. Uh, It's one of uh, Paul's letters uh, to his young pastors. Uh, He writes, uh, of course, right before the book of Titus uh, to uh, the man Timothy, his young disciple. And uh, we have been in a series that we have entitled Setting Us Straight, looking at the lessons uh, from this great book of uh, the book of Titus. And uh, today our text will land us in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, and we will be looking at the subject of the women in the church. And uh, we have been looking uh, throughout this uh, series, especially as we entered into chapter 2, uh, what I call the series within a series. As we examined what it means to be set straight, Paul addresses different groups of people. And uh, last week we talked about the men of the church, uh, both young and old, and the struggles and temptations and the strengths that God has called them uh, to fight and, and to pursue uh, in the way of strengths in their lives. And today we talk on the subject of uh, women. And so I want us to go ahead and look at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I would ask that you would stand again for the reading of God's word, and then we'll get into our text this morning. This is what Paul tells Titus and us today. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, And sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, and not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they may make the teaching about our God, our Savior, attractive. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again and we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity, first of all, to worship you. To worship you with our voices as we sing praises to you. To worship you with our hearts as we fellowship with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. To worship you now with our minds and with our actions as we open your word as we apply your truths, and as we leave this place, living out the practical, the positive, and, Lord, the beneficial precepts of your word. So, Lord, guide us in our time. Lord, I pray a special blessing on our women of this church, uh, those who have a a tall task of of serving you and loving you. Lord, of of many who are moms and uh, wives who are raising families and, uh, Lord, uh, living out marriages. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. Lord, that they would look to these truths and, Lord, not just hear uh, from a man regarding these things, but, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would encourage their hearts and would admonish where admonishing needs to take place so that the women of our church will be uh, bright, shining stars for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray as men that we would encourage uh, the women of this church to be all that they can be, uh, so that they can be true and obedient daughters in your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. 
In 2003, uh, the famed model Tyra Banks launched a new show that she called America's Next Top Model. It is the, uh, the channel that it's on. It's the number one program of their whole lineup, and uh, it involves this whole premise of finding the next great model for the fashion shows and the magazines. And the process of this show is week in and week out to bring a group of 12 women together and to allow them to live life and to live the life of a runway model. And the process of this show is to go through all different types of uh, activities that models would go through. And at the end of each show, based on the activity they've been a part of, whether it's doing a fashion shoot, whether it's uh, putting on the right kind of makeup and, and making yourself beautiful, uh, these models these 12 models go before a panel of judges. I I happened to watch, uh, it just happened, don't think I watch this every week, I happened to come along this and the people were ruthless in their comments about the models. Each of these women were beautiful in their own right, uh, but it wasn't enough. In fact, some were just downright humiliated uh, by this panel of people. They weren't beautiful enough, they had blemishes that in all aspects they weren't able to change. Some of these were things that they've carried all their lives, and yet uh, these judges would say, nope, not good enough, or you didn't try hard enough, or you didn't smile uh, with a big enough smile, and as a result of that, each and every one of them is, in fact, walking away with their heads down, uh, feeling like a failure. Until the show finally finishes up where the last model is standing, she's given a modeling contract, and then they start a new season, and this has been going on since 2003. As I was watching the judges articulate that, uh, this passage in Titus came to mind some weeks ago, and I wrote down, this is where I wanted to start this passage of Scripture. Because as we think about it, Paul is identifying what a model woman is to look like, both older and younger. And I was wondering if Jesus, or in fact, if the Apostle Paul was one of those judges, what would he say to those women? I want you to understand and know that nowhere in our text does it speak about the importance of makeup, the importance of dress, and the importance of looking beautiful, if you will, in any of our characteristics that we will look at today. Just as we spoke about last week, God does not look to the outward appearance but to the inward. And yet our world struggles with this ongoing uh, fight in regards to looking at the outside of a woman and not the inside. We're bombarded over and over again by culture that tells women how they ought to live, how they ought to be, and nowhere can it be found in Scripture. In fact, one of the leading women's magazines touts the, fa- uh, the following purpose statement. It's from Cosmopolitan Magazine. It says, Cosmopolitan Magazine is a life stylist for millions of fun, fearless females who want to be the best that they can be in all areas of life. Now, I thought about picking up a Cosmopolitan Magazine until I remembered what I see in the grocery store aisle, that the things are unspeakable in many ways, and I found it uh, somewhat, I'm kind of pleased by it, that especially with three boys growing up, uh, that they, they know that boys can read, and so they've covered up the both sides of the headlines of that magazine, but then sitting there as a scantily clad woman, and then telling you, hey, buy this magazine if you want to be like this woman. 
And so I went to their website and looked, and there's nothing about the inside of a woman. There's nothing about her emotional status. There's nothing about making her the kind of woman she needs to be. It's all about the outside. And in fact, I would go on. Much of the magazine this last month was about how to make a guy want you or to love you. And I will tell you again, nowhere in Scripture do we see this kind of definition, this kind of teaching going on in the life of a woman. So we come to the church and we say, well, that's culture. And culture wants me to be this way as a woman. But what does the Bible say? And we don't have to look any farther than our passage today to learn what it means to be a model woman for Christ, for your family, for your children, a model woman in the workplace, a model woman in the um, neighborhood, a model woman that glorifies the name of Christ. I want to read again just a couple verses that we'll be looking at. It says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be, the, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In fact, later on in the text, in fact, in verse 10, that the process of us living this way is to make Jesus attractive to the world. And so how is a woman to live out biblical womanhood in this life and culture that focuses in on the outside. Well, there are four things I want to pull from right away. And the first one is, and it has to do with that there needs to be a pattern that they follow. There's a pattern to follow. Notice again in verse 3. The first word we see in the NIV translation is the word likewise. We need to understand that Paul is sharing words with women. But it's not that this is only for women, but just as he spoke to men in the verses preceding this, older men especially, and then younger men uh, later on here in the text, and then talks with Titus on how to lead the church as an example in the soundness of speech and integrity in his message, and later on, which we'll learn about next week, uh, how we as employees uh, are to live and interact with our boss and, and on the job. That all of this is done, and it is to be done, in verse 1, what is taught in accord with sound doctrine. All of us have the call, whether male or female, young or old, employed uh, or, or a pastor, all of us have the job of living in accordance with what is being taught of sound doctrine. And this is important because we can begin to think, well, I don't have to listen today because I listened last week and I'm a man. But I want you to understand many of the things that are taught today have direct implications for you, the men of the church. And so don't think, oh, okay, the women are on the hook now. I don't have to listen. But there are truths that all of us can apply even though Paul is addressing a specific group of women this morning. All of these standards are based on us receiving the grace of God. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me for a moment. In verses 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We'll talk about this later, but Jesus came, and Jesus has appeared to all men. And because of that, this salvation that we have received teaches us as men, women, young and old, as employees, 
as homemakers, as pastors, as Christians, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of this that we're called to do, whether male or female, young or old, is the idea of living differently because you and I are saved. And I will tell you it's not easy because the world tells us the very exact opposite of that. To live uncontrolled lives, to pursue worldly passions, to pursue the things that the world says we need to be a part of. And this will stand in stark contrast to what the world has taught us, especially today, in regards to women. And so what is Paul's advice? What are Paul's words of wisdom? He addresses that the words of wisdom that he has is that women need a pattern to follow. And so he speaks to the women. And he speaks, first of all, to the older women. They are the ones who will lay forth the pattern in which to follow. Again, older women, as we talked about last week, is somewhat of a relative term. Now, older was usually used for a woman uh, 50 years or older. And I don't want to say that because I'll get letters that will say, hey, I'm 50 and I don't feel old at all. But it's relative because if you were to think about it, uh, as I told you last week, a seven-year-old girl, little girl, is going to think a 15-year-old girl is old. A 15-year-old girl is going to think that a 30-year-old is old. A 30-year-old individual is going to think 50 is old. And so all of us, as, uh, as the women of the church, you have the opportunity to be impacting, to be giving a pattern by which a younger woman is able to follow. The only one who can't listen to these words probably are the girls that are in the nursery right now. But all of us, and I should say all of you as women, and I'll probably do that over and over again, so don't laugh. I'll probably include myself as women, and uh, I'm not confused, but it just happens in teaching to a group of ladies But there are some things that you as older women need to be a part of. Now notice what Paul addresses. First of all, he says that this pattern to follow involves a couple things. First of all, it involves a pattern that is consistently reverent. This word reverent in uh, verse 3 literally means to act like a priestess. To be one who's like a priest. While this word can speak of holiness, it also carries greater significance In fact, this word reverent here in the Greek, the word that was there for reverent in the Greek, is used only this time in the New Testament. It's a compound word, it's a long drawn out word, that signifies the idea of living out wholeness in all manners of life. That's why the NIV does a good job in translating it, because it says, likewise, you see older women to be reverent, not just to be reverent, but to be reverent in the way that they live. The life that older women are to live is to be one that is reverent, to act in many ways synonymous to the way that the elders of the church ought to act, to be dignified and mature women of the faith. You could go and and could really apply again that which is taught in verse 2, that they would be worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. This is the kind of woman uh, that needs to be active in the church. And so the older women are called on to live like priests in all manners of faith and life so that they can be active in prayer and the study of God's word. They are to be women who admit a heavenly aroma and glow 
around them. That you look at these older women and you say, these are godly women. We make fun of older church women. I remember growing up, Saturday Night Live used to have the church lady. And uh, Dana Carvey, the comedian, used to play the part. There's this young guy playing the part of this older woman. But we need old church ladies in our midst, not to make fun of them, but so that the generations that are to come will be reverent in the way that they live as well. This is of key importance, that they emit and they allow this glow to take place. It speaks about the reverence in character, not so much dealing with beauty. In fact, turn for a moment to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, just go to your right, probably about 15 pages in your Bible, if that, to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is what 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, articulates to us. Speaking uh, on the subject of wives and husbands, he says to wives, in the same way, starting in verse 1, as you turn there, to be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over by the, without words, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. There's that word again. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. He isn't bad-mouthing that. Okay, I want you to understand that. That's important. What Peter is saying is, is that that shouldn't be your identification. What people shouldn't know about you is that you're a good dresser or that you've got a great hair stylist. But notice what Peter wants them to be identified with. What characteristics? He says, instead, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now notice what he says, which is of great worth In God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God. Used to make themselves beautiful. You want to be a reverent older woman? Then stop worrying about, per se, identifying yourself as the prettiest older woman in the church or the best dressed and start living like the women of the past who adorned themselves with holiness who adorn themselves with obedience. This is the life that older women need to pursue. Author Lois Rabbi uh, states it this way, women of a generous and reverent spirit are those who fill up and give out in ways that nourish themselves and give life to others. This type of life is possible because they know God, they believe in God, and they are actively living a faith-filled life. To the older women in our congregation today, are you known as a woman who loves the Lord? Are you known as a woman of prayer? Are you known as a woman who's not so worried about the details of the physical realm as much as you're concerned with the details of the spiritual realm? Again, that doesn't mean, and as a husband, I, I want to see my wife uh, looking beautiful and, and, uh, and all of that, but I don't want my wife, Amanda, to be known as just a beautiful woman but as one who loves the Lord. Now go back to the book of Titus. We go on and we see that Titus moves on and he says they must be reverent in the way that they live. And then he says they, not, they, they cannot be slanderers. They're not to be slanderers. This Greek word will surprise you. I, I don't know if I've missed this before, but uh, it's something that I think creates a great word picture. The word slanderer there in the Greek is the word diablos. And we get from the word diablos what word? 
devil. Devil. He says, I don't want you to be like the devil. I don't want you to be a slanderer, an accuser of people. In fact, this word is used 34 times in the New Testament to speak of the devil and his activities. This word literally means to throw things at people. Are you known as to throw dirt at people? Not in the physical uh, sense of the word, but, but things like gossip and slander and malicious words. Are you one that makes it difficult for relationships to happen in a godly way because of what you throw in the way? Some of you as older women have made it very difficult for your daughters and your sons to live under your care because you're constantly throwing accusations and issues before them. Instead of them being empowered and able to grow, issues have come. For some of you as older women, your struggle may be throwing malicious words and slandering your husband, and it may be deserved. But God says it's unbecoming of an older woman. Older women in the Bible, especially uh, that group of women, uh, get the uh, unfavorable uh, comments over and over again about being gossips. Is gossip something that's coming out of your mouth, from your tongue? Paul says that an older, wiser, more temperate and self-controlled woman should not have these things a part of her life. They can't be a part of it. And so stay away from them. In fact, this is uh, true even from a secular point of view. A researcher named Sabella Arts found out after a 10-year study that girls are more verbally skilled than boys. And so instead of hurting with fists, they tend to hurt with words. In fact, they're involved in tenfold the times of character assassinations as well as creating rumors and gossips about those around them. We've got to be careful, ladies, with these words. And that's why Paul has words to an older woman. Uh, Just turn a couple pages back to 1 Timothy chapter 5 for a moment. Just two pages probably back in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. This is what Paul says to another young pastor in the church. And he says that, uh, speaking of uh, younger widows, he says besides, verse 13, they get into the habit of being idle And going about from house to house, they don't have anything to do. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things that they ought not to. As women, you need to be careful not to speak words that will break and cut down, but words that will lift up. I like what Psalm 15, I'll just read this for us, Psalm 15.3 says, It says the following in regards to the importance of what we are to say and and how we are to be careful with our words. Psalm 15 verse 3 says, uh, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill, verse 1 says, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks from the truth of his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does, no, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. We need to be careful as ladies to make sure that the words of our mouth are overflowing with thanksgiving and a heart of praise. And to be careful, and I know it's difficult, it's hard for men as well, but it, it, it's difficult to not say sometimes what our heart and what our minds want us to say. Finally, he says they need to be controlled in behavior. Verse 3, the last part of it, says that older women are not to be addicted to too much wine. 
This goes uh, really to not just the addiction of wine, but any time we see this word addiction, it speaks in the Greek literally of being enslaved, in bondage uh, to something else. And so what he is saying is, is don't be enslaved to too much wine. Don't be in bondage to this issue of addiction. Now, the reason why addiction to wine was so big, quite frankly, is the belief that it was one of the only things out there. There weren't other things to be addicted with. In fact, in Greek and Roman culture, the addiction to wine by older women was to, if you will, um, just kind of calm their hearts, to try to get through the day. It was to kind of alleviate and dull the pain and to fill up empty time. Women didn't have anything to do, so why not go get wasted? Why not get drunk? He'll pass the time. He'll make things fun. Boy, our stories will be a lot more fun. The, the time together will be greater if we have a little wine in our systems. We need to be careful of this. Now, I know, and I'm sure not in our church, I'm not aware of it, that drunkenness is an issue amongst our women. It obviously was within the context of Titus's, um, uh, the letter of Titus from Paul. And in Titus's day, but I will say that I know of a woman in our congregation that was constantly being invited by the neighborhood to participate in two different days, Margarita Monday and Wino Wednesday. You would say, well, where, what are the moms doing? Well, they're home getting toasted. Why are they doing that? I'm sure to pass the time. I'm sure to make the day a little more manageable. And we need to be careful of it. So I would be remiss if I did not bring this up and say, this is unbecoming. And if you find yourself just being able to get through the day, just being able to function as a mom, that you've got to become intoxicated, whether it's by a drink or, or by something else, then you're outside of the will of God and stop it. Start being filled by the Holy Spirit. Pursuing Christ for the appetites of the flesh instead of pursuing that which is in the world. You need to be controlled. Now, I, I want to address this a little more and I bring it out of the idea of just being controlled with wine because this idea of addiction is true in the world for ladies. Ladies, uh, TV can become an addiction. I know it's an easy way to escape. It's true for men, uh, especially uh, for us when it comes to sports. But for women, it, it happens as well. We start watching things like the Home and Garden Network and, and watching how we change houses. And, and the problem with that is very similar, and, and I will uh, probably get some notes on this, is very similar to the lust of men, that the lust of men is purely a physical attraction where what the world is telling you is, is not to be content with the way things are. And so start looking at how, how you can change your house. And, and i got to tell you, it is very subtle. You watch someone take their house and, and with thousands upon thousands of dollars, pouring it into a house that's going to burn down on the day of judgment, to pour this into it, and that's how you live life. And there are women in our church who are angry with their husbands, who are angry with their place where God has put them because they can't do that to their house. They can't make their kitchen or their bedroom look like that because the financial resources aren't there. Or even worse, you have found yourself spending money that you don't have trying to accomplish what the TV says. It's not any different for men or women, just different fronts. The issue of lust. The lust of things that we cannot have. 
I was in the shopping, uh, uh, the Walmart the other day, and we were in the kids' section, and right beyond the kids' section in the Super Walmart was the magazine section. And as I was looking uh, at just walking the aisle, I was blown away, and I don't think I've ever seen this before. I was blown away, and I even said to Amanda, look, there's a whole aisle, probably 40 feet probably five shelves high of romantic novels. And I looked and I said, I, Amanda's never read those things that I've ever known of. But I said, someone has to be to give a whole aisle to these things. And, and I began to look at them and I said, you know, it just doesn't, I don't see a guy enjoying this kind of reading. All of them, I kid you not, all of them had a man with a chiseled chest on some sort of horse looking like Fabio reaching down and grabbing this damsel in distress, wearing this low-cut Victorian outfit. I won't go any farther than that. And I sit there and go, why would you be attracted to that? That doesn't work for me and my brothers. But the issue of contentment comes up. Because I'll get to in a moment, you're not going to wake up to Fabio. And I know some of you don't want to, but, but you're not going to wake up to that. And there's this desire in your heart that, that you're missing out, whether it's emotionally or, 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 or because you're missing out. All that you bought into this romantic view of marriage and all that, that's what you dreamed it would be, and it's not. And as a result, the devil is finding opportunities to work its way, his way into your heart. Be careful of such things. Another area of temptation that we need to be very careful with is that of shopping. I don't want to beat you up, and I, I'm not. I, I, I want to be very careful in this, and I would rather be far harder on men than women. It's easier to be hard on us. We're just plain dumb, so it's easy to bring out our issues. But be careful, ladies, when it comes to shopping, to yearn for the things that you don't have. This is the idea of being self-controlled. Again, shopping isn't bad. TV isn't bad. Spending time enjoying yourself isn't bad. But make sure that it's controlled. Make sure that it's not addicted to things. And if you find yourself looking through the ads, and this is true for us as men as well, uh, to be careful that, that contentment isn't drowned out as we look at those ads and say, I've got to have this. This will make me who I need to be. Young ladies, especially those that find themselves in high school right now, be careful. The dress does not make the woman. The woman makes the dress. And to be careful that that you don't say, I can't live without this thing. I can't be who I want to be without this thing. Because then you are addicting yourself to something that God says you shouldn't. We need to be controlled with behavior. Now, why are we to do all these things? Why are older women to be this way? Why is a pattern needed? Because there's a plan that needs to be implemented. Write that down. There's a plan that needs to be implemented. Why are women women, uh, to be reverent? Why are women to be self-controlled? Why are women not to be slanderers? It is because they are called to teach what is good at the end of verse 3 so that they can train the younger women. And then it goes on. And so there are a couple things that we need to see. An older woman's job, the reason why she needs to be a model is because she is being called to teach what is good. She is to teach what is good. This idea of teaching literally means to come alongside someone else. So the role of older women, again, older being relative, 
is that they would come alongside those that are younger than them and to teach them. The content, what Paul says, is to teach that which is good. This refers to something that is inherently excellent and provides superior benefit to those who contain it. The role of the older woman is to pass on all that is beautiful and all that is beneficial that God has laid before them so that they can experience the faithful walking with their Lord and Savior. Now notice for a moment, who is to do this teaching? Paul doesn't say, as a pastor, Titus, you are to do it. See, Paul knew something. Titus was a young man. And Paul recognized what we need to recognize in our culture as well is that young men and young women, especially pastors, we need to be very careful that we don't invest too much time in the life of, of, of young women. And we've got to be careful with this. And so the role is not given to the pastor or the elders of the church. The role is given to the older women. The older women need to step up in this and to be able to take this as their pastoral, if you will, duty for the younger women of the church. They're to care for the younger women and the training of that. But notice, what does it involve? It involves training for godliness. They are to teach what is good, and now they are to train. Train up in godliness. This word training speaks of shaping and developing another's life. It involves pouring into the life of others to make one sober-minded, and to teach how to be in control. That's why it's so important that the older women be temperate and, and reverent so that they can then pass that on as well. Now, I want you to understand something. This teaching and training is not to be done. It, it does not speak of a woman getting up, an older woman behind a podium, and say, okay, younger woman in the class, let me teach you what it means to be uh, a good younger, younger woman that's a Christian. But this speaks of informal settings where an older woman comes alongside a younger woman. It gives the connotation that it's inside the home, that it's one-on-one in experience, and they begin to train. They begin to train. When I was younger, uh, the girls, and this will show a little bit of my age because I don't hear younger girls doing this anymore, but when I was especially quite young, when we would go out into recess with first or second grade, I remember the girls, they would jump rope and they would have these sayings. And, and I remember uh, one of them would, uh, would start singing and, and she would jump to a certain thing and she would say, this is how we make the bed, make the bed, make the bed. This is how, and I remember that. And then they would go on to, this is how we make the soup, make the soup. And they would do all these little fun jigs and all of that with these songs. Where did they learn these things? They learned them from their moms. And their moms would teach them as they were making the bed, uh, this is how we do it. This is how we fold the sheets. Fold the sheets, fold the sheets. We didn't learn that in Bidal family. <laughs> if we did, I would have been beat up. Why did they learn these things? That's the kind of teaching and training that goes on. That an older woman puts around her arm around a younger woman and says, this is how you go to college, go to college, go to college. This is how you love your husband. Love the lug, love the lug. And this sorely is missing in our church. And I wouldn't just put it on you and say it's just this church. This is sorely uh, missing in our church because to do this, and it means investing time. And so you've got a young woman in the church who's saying, I'm really struggling. I'm really fighting for my life here. I, I, got, I got three children. I, I can't stand their guts. I, I don't want to see them anymore. 
My husband is, is gone all the time, and I'm trying to hold this family together, and I'm just dying for someone to come and talk with me. And so they maybe address this thing and tell people, you know, I'm really struggling. And, and then what happens? Well, you know, we've got this going on and that going on. We, you know, we could put together a time maybe in three months. Let's hook up. Let's make sure that we connect. Let's resolve these things. And that poor woman walks away. And she says, forget it. I'll, I'll figure it out on my own. So we have to clear our schedules. Older, woman, older women, this is a ministry that is vitally necessary for the younger women in our church. It's a lifelong process. The other part of this word, this training, is not a 12-week course. Those are okay and those are beneficial, but it's not a lifelong course. Now notice, what are they to train in? There's some principles to convey, point three. What are they to train in? Older women are to be self-controlled, righteous women who have a heart to teach and to train the younger women. With what? What are they to train them in? What are these principles that are important? Paul gives the first one. It's loving your families. Loving your families. Notice what he says there. He says that they are to teach what is good and to, so that they can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. To love their husbands and children. These are two words, philalandros, husband lovers, and philatechnos, lovers of children. Notice the first one, husbands. Train to love them. Now, I know in our culture, we have this idea, the question will come up right away, how can you train someone to love someone else? If you use our Western culture that uh, love is an emotion and a feeling, then it's untrainable. Because people will say, hey, I don't love them. I don't have that kind of emotion or that kind of feeling for them. I no longer am hooked on that feeling. I've lost that loving feeling to speak of of some of the songs in our culture. But when you look at love as a commitment, in fact, in the context, many of these people in the Eastern culture were not married to people that they had uh, had an emotional attachment to as in our Western culture, but many of these were arranged marriages. And so these arranged marriages, father and mother connecting with another father and mother and saying, hey, our son would be a good husband for your daughter. Let's make this thing happen. And as a result of that, many would be called to learn how to love the man sitting next to them. Before you start saying that, boy, that doesn't sound right, and that that just kind of sounds dumb, arranged marriages have a higher level of lifelong commitment than the love relationships that we have come together with. Because it's based on a commitment, not on feelings. Feelings are fleeting. Now, some of you will say, and God bless you, I love my husband. I don't have to be trained to love him. Well, you've only been married for two months. You wake up every morning and say, yay, I'm married. Yeehaw. And then there's some of you that turn around and say, oh, it's a bad nightmare. I'm going back to bed. You've been married for any amount of time. You recognize, you know it isn't easy to be married to guys. It's hard. We make it very difficult. After all the whining and dining, after all the fun and games, after all the lies, we really show you who we are. It's not fun. It's not pretty. It don't smell right. I hit someone's nerve over here. (laughs) 
And if you got married because of the romance, solely because of, not that romance is bad. The Bible devotes a whole book of the Bible, the Song of Solomon, to the idea of romance between a husband and wife. It's important, but it is not what is going to get you through the years. And so you have to commit yourself. And so what has to happen is at some point that young woman uh, who finds herself next to this guy and, and sitting there going, what in the world, why did I marry him? An older woman comes around, puts her arm around it and says, hey, I've learned how to love mine. Let me teach you how to love yours. I'd be remiss to say that I recognize in my own life that it's not easy for Amanda to love me. I make it very difficult. I can't imagine what, what she's dealing with, and yet in some of your lives, what you're dealing with. Husbands are not fun. And so my heart goes out not only to my own wife, but to other wives, because we as men, we're selfish, we're fickle. We slack where we need to lead, and we lead where we need to slack. And then we want to bring another person alongside us and say, hey, I want you to be involved in this walk of life. It isn't easy. And so the last thing you need to hear is from me on how to love your husbands. Because I'm one of those problems. And so an older woman needs to come around and say, I've been there. Let me share with you how to love like Christ does. The next word, philotechnos, a lover of children. Again, the question is, why would you have to be trained to love those little buggers? I love them all the time. It took me two hours to stop loving my children when they came from, from the hospital. Two hours. They start crying. They start smelling. They start going on and on. You give them what you think that they want, and they just keep crying for more. The most sinful things you can think about happen when you're holding a colicky baby. Amen? I mean, the, the, the most depraved thoughts come into mind. No, I won't even do it. You know, you've been there. It just keeps going and going and it won't stop. And just imagine, I only got up a 0.3% of the time. And you as a wife, as a mom, have to deal with these things. And so you're at home and some of you are here, you're at home and you've got three kids under the age of five and they're all screaming and they're all peeing and pooping and they're throwing food and they're doing all of this and you've got a husband who leaves before sunrise and doesn't get home until sun, after sunset and you just find yourself, you haven't taken a shower, you haven't gotten out of your pajamas and you're ready to give up and Paul thinks you need to be trained how to love your children, where does he get off? In those times, I've tried it. It is not smart for a husband to tell a wife how to love the children. It is at that moment, with oatmeal in the hair, with crayon marks all over the wall, that an older woman needs to come around a younger woman and say, why don't you go take a shower? I'll watch the kids. Why don't you go take a nap? You need it. Why don't I take you out for some lunch? Let's find some other ladies or, 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 or ask your husband to take, and this is important, guys. Your husband maybe take a day off of work, and, and let's go, and let's, let's just spend some time, you and I. Note to, to men, that's the day you take the day off. You make it a reality for your wife. You need to be lovers of your husband and children. It's something you're going to have to be trained, and it's not something per se you're going to learn in the church. What I mean by that is in the context of ministry. We've got great classes that have helped that. 
uh, entrusted with a child's heart is a wonderful example. Mops is another wonderful example. But I got to be honest with you, as great as those examples are, they will not get you through the day without someone who's along next to you, who's been there and who's done it with faithfulness. Going on, we need to long for purity. They need to long for purity. The text tells us that longing for purity is that they are to be pure and self-controlled. There's a negative and, and positive connotation here. The negative first is that they ought to be self-controlled. The idea here is having a saved mind. They act like Christians. Women that are self-restraint, sensible, and steady. They are to be pure. This speaks of being sexually pure. Both on the outside, meaning before marriage, and in, in the time of marriage. It's a great reminder that's found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Again, I, I need to stop and, and just an aside here. For some of us, uh, some of you younger ladies out there, you're going to have men, and if you haven't already, you will inevitably have men who will come and with all kinds of words of flattery and love and affection tell you that you are the only one. Let me just tell you that for the first probably 20-some years, it's a lie. They don't even know what love is. And so when a guy says, I love you and I want to be with you forever, it means really, because we're ADD, it means I I love you for at least the rest of the night. And so be careful, be careful that you don't give away that which is the only gift that you uh, have in the physical realm, that which is to be given to your husband, to give it away to some yahoo in the backseat of a car. That is God's intention. And yet there are some girls right now who last night in our congregation, I'm sure, heard those flowery and flattering words to go farther than they are supposed to so that they will feel the love. Let me tell you, that's not love. It's lust and it's from the pit of hell. So be self-controlled. Listen to your mom and dad. They're trying to protect you. They're not trying to hurt you. Fathers of sons, I say this as a father of three sons, you teach your sons to love young women, not as lovers, but as sisters in the Lord. I, told, I was told as a young man that if I ever wanted to lose the respect of my father to treat a young woman badly, and I wish I could say I was completely pure in that, that I treated young women as I was supposed to. And in many ways, I, I did a lot better than I ever would have thought. But teach those young men that they are princesses of the kingdom. My father said, and, and, I, and I'm reminded this over and over again, never allow your mind to wander about a woman because you'll have to look at her in eternity. Either look at her as a believer as she's leaving the judgment of Almighty God and say, while you were lusting at me, Christian, I was on my way to hell. And instead of sharing the love of Christ with me, you took uh, my clothes off, if you will, with your mind. Or on top of that, to think that way of a sister in Christ. And knowing in eternity, we'll know these things, brothers and sisters, that men, our minds wandered when we could have been edifying the women around us, we were using them for our own desires. We as people must be self-controlled. We must be self-controlled. And so it means longing for purity. It means lifting up the home. 
Paul leaves three final thoughts with Titus to share with older women. What is it that they are to be involved in teaching the younger women? To be busy at home. There are few things in this world that are as explosive as that phrase in God's word. And so I want to be very careful not to put a log on the fire where Scripture doesn't want it. And first of all, we need to explain what does that mean. The NIV says busy at home. And that's a pretty good uh, translation. Some of them are not as good as others. But I want you to understand from the Greek translation, we need to be careful in our understanding of this meaning so we can have a legitimate understanding of how this is to be played out. First of all, it would be illegitimate for us to base this phrase... To base on this phrase, I'm sorry, it would be illegitimate for us to base on this phrase a stay-at-home stereotype for women. It's not there. You can believe that, and that's okay, and that could fit that, that phrase, but that doesn't mean that what God's Word is saying is that a woman uh, has to be at home, and I'll explain in a moment why. Nor does it give a prohibition of wives being women in the workplace. We need to be remembering Proverbs 31, where Proverbs 31 says that the woman leaves the home and goes and she buys and sells. She has an entrepreneurial spirit. But what needs to be understood in this phrase is that in a woman's life, especially if she has chosen the vocation of being a wife and that of a mother, that a woman must always put the family first and foremost in her life. That's what it means. And this is an imperative. This is of great importance. You cannot say that your job is what makes you as a woman. It doesn't mean you can't have a job, but when you start identifying yourself as a dental hygienist or as an elementary school teacher or, or uh, a uh, retail uh, employee, if you start identifying yourself with that, you have taken that which is to be of the first and foremost, being a wife and a mother, and you've said it and made it secondary. Moms, wives, your job is to be busy at home, literally to make the home your foremost desire and devotion. Now I say this as one who had a mom who did work off and on. She did many times uh, out of what they believed was necessity. But I would also add that never was there a time that I was neglected as a child. And that's important. So you that are working outside the home, you don't have to have this legalistic uh, crown put over you, if you will, that hangs over you. But recognize the temptation of finding your affirmation in the workplace instead of the home. I know there's no, there's no great luxury of, of being called a homemaker, to be found one who, who is a mom. But I will tell you what, when I stand in glory, I'm not going to talk about my mom's accolades of being a second grade school teacher, but I'll talk about how she changed my life. How she was there when I needed her to be there. How she taught me how to treat a lady. It's important we get this in perspective. So the question we have to ask, ladies, is, is my family, is my home life preeminent? And if it's not, it may not be your work that's doing it, but whatever it is, get it out of the way. And that is why it is important that older women teach women how to love their husbands and love their children. Because one of the reasons why they want to get out of the workplace or into the workplace is they're just tired of dealing with us and the kids. 
They want to have something that's satisfying in that. And so men, you lift your wives up high. You elevate them. You make them the queen that they are. The hardest spankings I got as a kid was when I crossed my mom. My dad would give his full wrath and fury on my behind when I messed with the queen. And he made it known. He'd say, hey, I can have as many subjects as I want in this kingdom. I don't need you. But there's only one queen. And some of you as husbands have allowed your children to walk all over your wife. And it needs to stop. She used to be lifted up and adorned as the one who is the lover of you and your children. I need to move on. I know you're enjoying this. It involves her spirit. She used to be kind. This has to do with the interaction so you know with your family. She used to be busy at home being a kind mom, a kind wife. This speaks of hospitality. It is a lost art. The reason why we don't show hospitality is because we're not busy at home. Our houses aren't clean, and that doesn't mean just the women. This means men and women. Our houses aren't clean, and we're too busy doing other things outside of the house that we would ever invite someone to be a part of it. Our houses aren't the warm places that God has called them to be. And so, wives, this is where you take the lead, not the lead in cleaning. Men, that's our role. There's nowhere in the Bible that says women clean. So we both do it, and the kids especially do that. I'm loving these years now where the kids can start doing things. It's glorious, starting to pay off. But to be known as a home that is known for its love and affection, that opens its doors to family and friends and strangers alike. To be not known just uh, caring for the bodily needs of a family, but to be a part of a house that feeds the emotional and spiritual needs. I was in a home not too long ago of a family in this church, and I walked away, and as a young couple, they, they, they were a, a middle, I say middle age, I'll get in trouble. They had older children. And I walked away, and Amanda and I said, we want our house to be like that. And you know what, you know what we didn't notice? Whether their house was in order or not, whether or not they had everything in just its right place. I don't remember what we ate, whether it was good or not. I just remember sitting around a table with a group of teenagers who were loving on mom and dad and mom and dad loving on them. And with three screaming boys in the back, I said, my goodness, I want that. That's a kind house. And I'll tell you, if you knew the woman, you'd say, that's a kind woman. She has made a house a welcoming place. We need to do that as well i got to get you mad one more time. We need to be subject to your husbands. He says you need to be subject to your husbands. Again, this is explosive words. This speaks of the order of the family. It needs it. We as Christians are all subject to Christ because there's an order. We see this in the Trinity that while they're all equal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Son and the Spirit uh, take a secondary, and I want to be careful with this, take on a secondary role of submission to the Father. Not my will, Jesus says, but your will be done. Jesus didn't get rid of his, his deity, but he submitted to the will of the Father. Wives, just as Christ submits to God the Father in his equality, so as you in your equality submit to your husbands. And I know it's difficult. And I want to read something. I don't know if it's on the screen. We've got to, there we go. Thank you. Submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. 
It's not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. Christ is her absolute authority, not her husband. She submits out of reverence for Christ. The supreme authority of Christ qualifies the authority of her husband. She should never follow her husband into sin. Nevertheless, even when she may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband. Listen to this phrase. It's important. When she may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband, where she does not yield to her husband's unbelief, she can still have a spirit of submission and a disposition to yield. She can show, her, show by her attitude and her behavior that she does not like resisting his will and that she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as the head can again produce harmony. It's by Legan Duncan, a pastor. This is important because as husbands... You can't expect your wife to submit until you love her as Christ loved the church. And some of you are sitting there right now, husbands, and you're saying, yeah, Tim, let her have it. She needs to submit to me. And if that's your attitude, it's not your wife's submission that's the problem. It's your disobedience that's the problem. And worry about what you need to worry about and let your wife worry about what she needs to worry about. I have never and will never tell my wife to submit to me because it is not my right to tell her to do that. And when you start uttering those words, well, I'm the man of the house, it just shows you you're not the man of the house. You're a loser. Because you're pontificating things that out of your sinfulness, you're unwilling to yield to the the leadership of Christ, and yet you want your wife to yield to the leadership of you. You're crazy if you think that's going to happen. So wives, do your best to submit. In submission to Christ, in reverence to Christ, submit. And this is why it's, again, so important older women to help out younger women because you're going to have, again, lugs as husbands who are going to try to just lord it over. And it's wrong. So be subject to your husband, he says. And finally, very shortly, there's a perspective to keep. Give me two minutes and I'll be done. Verse 5 says, Why do we do all these things, women? so that no one will malign the word of God. The reason why you do this is so that God is glorified, so that the way of Christ is exalted, so that you are a model in your neighborhood and in your family, you're a model in the workplace, you're a model wherever God has led you to be, that people will look and say, there's something different about that woman. She honors her husband. She loves her children. She strives to bring glory to God in all aspects of life. There's nothing worse than a woman, or for that matter, a man, who lives contrary to the word of God. What an opportunity to advertise to the world that we really truly don't care about God's word. And yet again, I would be remiss not to say that I have a wife who keeps this perspective who does not malign the word of God. I know that without my wife, and I'll say this as an example to you men, without my wife, and she's not here right now, but you better believe I'll say it in the second service, that I would be sunk without her. And so that it is imperative that I, Tim Bidall, do everything I can to love her, to serve her, to honor her, so that she may be presented before Christ, Ephesians 5 says, pure and radiant before our King. And that's our job as a church, to present our women pure and radiant 
before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's my hope and prayer that the women of this church would be honored for the place that they hold and that they would be cherished as the women in our church and that this place would be a place with model women of true womanhood so that the younger women and all those who see it will glorify God in all things. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, this is not an easy topic. Lord, I know this is one of the ones I was worried about. And so Lord, I pray first of all, if I have spoken hastily that the women of this church would forgive me because it wasn't my, my job nor it was my intention to offend to be a man who throws stones at the fight and the struggles and the issues that face our beloved women in this church but Lord I also want to speak true to what your word says and so Lord I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of each of our women, wherever they may find themselves, whatever may have, have them struggling right now with the words of Scripture, that your Spirit would lead and guide them. Lord, I pray that their husbands would come around them and love them and encourage them and minister to them, that the, the men of this church would rise up and be the men that you've called us to be so that we can care and minister to the women of this church. Lord, I pray for the women's ministry of this church, that it would find ways, creative ways, to allow older women to treat and to teach and train younger women. Lord, I pray for especially this weekend uh, coming up, that a, a dinner like that of the Christmas dinner would be an opportunity for the women to have a, a night away so that the men can serve them and so that they can enjoy a meal and fellowship. Lord, that it would be an opportunity for relationships to be made and the teaching and training of God's word to take place. Lord, we need strong women in this church and in our world. And Lord, we thank you for those that have served us and loved us as our moms and as our sisters and as aunts and Lord and, and friends. And so Lord, we know that this scripture is important. It is vital to all that we do. So Lord, we leave this place now. We go to fellowship we go to continue to learn in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we do so with humble hearts knowing we have a long way to go. But you said you would never leave us or forsake us. And that you would complete the work that is unfinished in our lives. To you be glory and honor in your church and to the world without end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.